and welcome back to V'ger, please. A hateful trek through the Delta Quadrant. You screwed it, it up. <laughs> I know. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I want everyone to know that 15 seconds ago, Peter explicitly asked, is the tagline of the show for which we have done 25 episodes a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant or a hateful trek through the Delta Quadrant? And I said, mystified that somehow he doesn't know this information, that it is a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. And and it did not take 15 seconds, this thing I trusted him with, to do the intro for him to just cock it up. Good job. Great. 10 out of 10. You did great. You did great, kid. Best did intro great. ever. Anyways, I'm Peter. I'm Joseph. You know what didn't get screwed up this time? Uh, our introduction that we intentionally asked them to screw up? No. An episode of Voyager, my friend. Well, before we jump into that, I, I do want to talk about the intro real quick. Uh, we need to plug Ian and Sarah, who laid that down. I just uh, twisted uh, our friend James, twisted his arm behind his back into starting to listen to the podcast. And, you know, he hit episode three and was delighted to report back. He's like, dude, I, I just heard that recorder intro with the Voyager theme and I can't stop laughing. And I said, well, I'm glad we were able to give that to you. I think that's like a nice treat that we've given the audience after two episodes of my terrible mic as we come into our own I, I think that's like a nice repayment i think you're a little harsh on yourself i mean having listened to some of the other podcasts out there we upgraded our audio equipment relatively quickly i will say again thank you to ian and sarah always uh amazing to me that they pumped that out and essentially like the next day after we asked for it. Yeah. It just puts our show right on the right foot for everybody that listens in. Let you know and, what you're getting uh, yourself into. And also quick shout out since we're, we're doing a little, little chit chat, little pre-show chit chat to uh, everybody that's been listening. That's new because we've seen a huge influx actually of new listeners. Uh, welcome. I know our Facebook page has more over like 400 likes now, and we're definitely seeing folks, just finding episodes that interest them and listening to them. And we're all about that. So thanks. Welcome aboard. And thank you to everybody who's bringing friends into it. I know every now and then we'll, we'll sit, you know, call out, Hey, drag some of your friends into this miserable trek and or voyage with us. Uh, and you're doing the thing and you're helping us out and we appreciate it. Thank you. And, and now that we're, I guess in this warm, sunny period of, competent television i thought it was competent television uh season two episode 11 maneuvers you liked it huh i i did uh i you know i think the the complaints i had about it were mostly structural choices that uh the writers had to make to remind the audience of a character that hasn't been on the show in probably many many months uh, from the from the perspective of of watching this at the time, uh, otherwise I thought that Seska was just the fucking best, and this made me actually like Chicote, which is after Tattoo I thought would just be Mission Impossible. So yeah, I liked it. What do you think? I loved it. Uh, between this and our last episode, which was uh, Cold Fire, Voyager has done a hard one eighty. You know, we had some dark spots in season two, and I don't know if it's the writer's room starting to find their stride or them bringing in the right talent or or what the hell is going on. But 
that's back to back excellent. I love that last episode, Cold Fire, so much. We ran, what, an hour and a half? I don't even know if we're going to split it into two episodes for our podcast because we went so long on it. And I still had more to say about it. This episode particularly, you know, I run into a problem when we get the good episodes where I come out with like half a page of notes because I don't have anything to critique. And I, I find myself watching it more than dissecting it. And this one, I mean, I got a solid two pages of notes and uh, and I'm ready to go. This this was good. Great Star Trek. The opening is a sweaty locker room talk, but in a turbo lift between Balana and Chakotay. Chakotay is uh, wearing this drug rug. <laughs> he really is. He's wearing the kind of like weird a poncho-like uh, garment that only a man who is entirely out of shape would wear. So I pause the screen like I do, and I, I let my mind wander. And they're, you know, they're on the turbo lift bitching. It's clear that they've been in some sort of holodeck thing. And I'm like, what simulation would people fucking dress like this? Certainly the first thing in my mind wasn't going to be racquetball or tennis or whatever the fuck they were actually playing. I'm like, were they doing some sort of... So, you know, the video games like there's weird European video games that like, why would anybody want to play a uh, 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 semi truck driver simulator or forklift simulator, you know, farmer simulator? I was like, are they in some sort of weird hobo panhandler sim- like simulation? <laughs> Balana looked good. You know, she's wearing like civilian clothes of the 24th century that look like they're like fitted to her. I couldn't it's- even see her. All I could see was Chakotay's drug rug. It's, it, it is the kind of utilitarian smock you put over somebody who uh, lacks definition in their body shape. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, well, we want to hide it. So we're just going to put this on top of you so that uh, no one no one will know. No one will know how how big that beer belly really is. That's what that looked like to me. It's like one of those greasy stained giant t-shirts that some of the rather obese gamers you and i know uh tend to wear you know what i mean sure but the flip side of that is when he's not wearing that drug rogue i mean those uh those jumpsuits don't leave a lot of imagination to whether or not someone's rocking a gut so interesting you should look more closely there's uh there's give in the chakotay outfit there's a lot of give there's a lot of space there they switched over to the new phasers and we don't have phaser dick anymore i don't find myself looking at people's midsections nearly uh eagerly enough but so they get up on the bridge because they have uh voyagers picked up a uh starfleet beacon signal they cut right to the credits after that revelation and when they come back they note the signal that they are receiving was not due to be used for a month until a month after they left the the uh, the Alpha Quadrant. You know, let's let's take a step to the side here. I think my enjoyment in these Voyager episodes boils down to a couple of things. One, feasibility. You know, is whatever goofy adventure they're going on plausible that rational people would fall into this predicament? And two, does it play into the larger story? You know, is this a dumb bottle episode or is there a connection to real concepts, themes, and and plot lines in play? And right out of the gate, you know, we've been wondering, Voyager's made a couple attempts at this point to try and send messages home, be it through Eye of the Needle, a couple other things. Harry Kim has been back to Earth in his uh, timeline debacle, uh, non sequitur. He knows that, you know, Voyager is on the radar, even though they've, they've classified it as a loss or whatever. It's not like Starfleet just swept this thing under the rug. 
right off the bat, you know, this this episode's got me on some big plot lines. I definitely agree with you that the fact that it's in continuity and they took some time to establish some very credible ways in which Voyager is going to get fucked with mm-hmm. uh, really helped this episode. And the first example comes when Janeway walks into the obvious trap that she even notes is a trap. because She is the trap queen. Mm-hmm. And what should happen? But a Kazon uh, ship comes screaming out of the location the signal's coming from. And the Kazon attack is very calculated. And as they are assaulted by this ship, um, it becomes clear that they have the uh, shield harmonics frequency of Voyager. And as a consequence, are able to affect very effective weapons fire and open up a hole in the shields uh, through concerted effort. Now, I think this does show how weak Kazon technology is because we all know, Pop, you know, uh, Papa Bless, rest in peace, Big D, that knowing the shield frequency of a ship is a way to blow it up in like a couple torpedoes. But the best the Kazon can do is put in a little hole in in Voyager's shields. Okay, first of all, this attack sequence is fucking dope. They yeah, spent some cool. money on this episode. There's new set pieces, the CG. I mean, there's some cool ship battles. And again, you're dealing with like, you know, old 80s beat up Trans Am Kazon ships presented in, in, a, in, in a pretty effective light here. The Kazon get the upper hand real fast in this fight. And ultimately, I'm like, why don't they stick around and finish the job? Why don't they just blast them? You know, they get they get what they want and they leave. I think it would have been within their ability to destroy Voyager if they wanted to, but the goal of the Kazon at this point is to get as much of the ship intact as possible so they can scavenge it and, and strip it down for parts and basically uplift themselves. That was ent- entirely clear uh, by everything that happened later on in the episode. Sure. I mean, it's, they basically said, yes, we want to capture the ship, and they couldn't capture it effectively on their own, probably from due to a lack of manpower. Yeah. And so they need so they, more people. So they catch them. You know, you've got a, a cruiser firing. They punch a hole in the shields. And then they've got this other ship that's like seems like a special use vessel that flies into this hole and where Voyager has uh, penetrated many a space hole in the first season, physically rams the ship. And uh, the front of this ship is now inside one of the cargo bays where Kazon dudes just start spilling out. This happens rapid fire. The only criticism I have of the show at this point is, you know, Voyager shows so much restraint on not just blasting fools. Like, at what point in Janeway's mind does it flip into like, all right, fuck diplomacy. We've really tried to pull punches. These guys are about to bend us over the table. It's time to start swinging for the face and just fucking annihilate these other guys with your superior weapons. I think that uh, this is the ultimate weakness in the Federation's kind of modus operandi pre-Dominion War. Mm-hmm. And they learned the hard way that this is the, going to be the cost of them taking the do not commit to deadly action unless absolutely necessary. Uh, because they're doing everything in their power basically not to kill people. and to That's their ethic. And... You have, I mean, look what it took for for Janeway to just get pissed off at the Vidians, or literally a bunch of organ stealing, you know, space lepers, and he still is like, "Well, I don't have a choice but to let you go because the other choices are too horrifying to me." 
So this second ship flies in through the hole, rams the fucking cargo bay, and Kazon dude starts spilling out. And this isn't like, oh, hey, we got reports of a hull breach and intruder alert. They actually built a whole set where there's a wall of Voyager and a ship rammed through in twisted metal smoke and all this stuff. Here's another good uh, catch here. You've got ship-to-ship combat going on. This is kind of where I've always questioned the way that they structure these ships. Your, your head chief of security is always your tactical officer. And here you get the split duty. Like, we've got ship combat going on, and now there's intruder alerts. Like, where do you want Tuvok? You want him on tactical? You want him, you know, leading uh, uh, security teams to fight off these intruders? Where is Howdy Duty? <laughs> He's, he should be jacked as fuck now. He's had 10 he, months to do all the deadlifts. He should have been in Cargo Bay 2, like Batman 89, Michael Keaton, like hanging upside down by his ankles, doing sit-ups, ready to fucking go. Unaware that a ship had just rocked through the fucking bulkhead because, you know, <laughs> he just thought he was working out so hard that he was shaking the ship around him. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to be in it, but what a perfect time to start plugging in some some tertiary security characters to lead the charge. You could have had him die. Well, whatever. You know, we're not going to get into to death and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, come on, man. Break out the Baxter. Give me howdy duty on these uh, on this security chase down. I, I will say the whole sequence of events here, as you said so adequately, was dope. The idea of a purpose built tiny craft that just punctures the hull so that they can bail out because they don't have transporter and so they can get in the ship unexpectedly and then essentially affect the B&E. So they, uh, the Kazon uh, that broke in uh, bounce to the transporter room, grab a piece of equipment, and then beam back out to mm-hmm. the Kazon vessel. I do want to point out that Tuvok does intercept these guys in the cargo bay. And it's like how... Back he again. Get, you know, he gets one too. I mean, he gets. It's he gets only it after dude. they shoot at him. He's like, "Drop your weapons!" Like, dude, you just got sucker punched. There's a hole in the ship. You guys are getting hot dick run right up through you. Time to you should start fleeing. And, and again, you know, like you just said, it's pre Dominion War SOPs or whatever, and you know, shoot as a last resort. But like, man, just void your ass for it over and over again. So yeah, they they get in the transporter room, steal something, beam out, and then what? That's a cut to commercial there. I think. They're still wondering, like, who's responsible for this, which is the one thing I felt was so sloppy in the episode. But it was pointed out to me by a friend of the show, Andrew, who is watching it with me and Stevie, that, you know, from their from the viewer's perspective, no one would have would have seen Seska for a really long time. And some people may not know who she is at all. So you kind of have to throw some breadcrumbs down and and make it so that you can explain who she is to the audience. And up to this point. Janeway still thinks she's got some sort of control over this. Yeah, there's a ship jammed in the side. Yeah, they know that a piece of technology has just got ganked. But she figures, you know, we got the tractor beam. These guys aren't going anywhere and we can just, you know, talk it out. No big deal. Throw them up on view screen and it's first mage Kella, who you remember from the 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 elite poisoning dude from uh, yeah. the Queen of Burns episode and the queen herself quickly dips into view now in full Cardassian makeup. She makes a very epic entry because Chicote says, I should have known it was you. And then Seska says, yes, you should have. That's the actual dialogue. Fucking awesome. She is the voice of the audience. 
And uh, I think Seska at this point is probably my favorite character that we've established in Voyager overall. I mean, hands it, down. It, it, you, you might as well have just cut to that gif of that dude who just like is standing there with all of his friends going nuts after like laying down a diss track. <laughs> like that was sick. That was a perfect burn. I, I will point out that somehow, some way, everyone on the ship didn't think to change the fucking security codes after they had a Obsidian Order spy decide to bounce and join with the biggest enemy they've made in the Delta Quadrant. Like, that was insane to me. That no one ever brought up, like, oh, yeah, we never changed the locks after we kicked out our crazy fucking ex. Oh, wait. Well, she got in and is, like, fucking, like, took a torch to my couch and kidnapped my dog. Like, yes, of course it, that happened. It goes on. It goes on and on. And I don't think she knew the shield frequency so much as like, you know, when, when D gets destroyed in generations, like they get the exact frequency the shields are at at that moment. That's how they get that photon torpedo through. I think she just knows a rotation pattern where the weapons are more effective than they should be. Um, so that's I think a, they've kind of, I, I see what you're saying there. It wasn't, it wasn't the whole kit and caboodle. It was like getting it on that weak point over and over and over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's jump back to two episodes ago, which was uh keep your backstory to yourself. The fucking tattoo episode. Yeah. We didn't talk about it in that episode, but you know, when they get to planet two, they kind of, there's some concerns that there's shit that might be on the, the surface or in orbit, but they don't think they can really see it. Seska's already demonstrated that she, the Maquis and the Obsidian Order, everything else, like they know the weak spots of Federation tech. And she's really good at like hanging out in the cut of just past where the effective levels of the technology of sensors or whatever are. So like, again, you know, her coming out of the nebula, she's got a lot of aces up her sleeve. One of them being is, you know, when when Janeway tries to say, well, you know, we're going to get your ship they're able to worm away and the tractor beam uh, just slips right off the Kazon and they pop off into warp. And in the process, you know, Voyager's got this fucking thorn in its side, their attack rating vessel they left behind, uh, which is thrown off hull integrity. They can't form a warp field and Voyager's basically dead in the water. Tuvok points out in the very next scene that Seska's got like all the training necessary to be a pain in their ass forever. She has Starfleet training, she has Maquis experience, and she's an Obsidian Order spy. So there, she's going to come up with all kinds of shit to fuck with them that they are not prepared for. Uh, Snar Snarf is essentially brought in to confirm, like, hey, is this shit fucked up? And he's like, yeah, they definitely have never figured out to do shit like this on their own. So whatever Seska's talking them into is going to be some out-of-the-box thinking. She is power leveling these guys hardcore. That's a great way of putting it. They, she is. We read the the trailers or the stingers, whatever you want to call it, for the next episode on Netflix. And I got to say that they they certainly predispose you to certain ideas. The Netflix description for this, you know, they clearly outline that Chakotay is basically going to go off on his own and hunt down Seska. So that's in my mind while all this is going through. She just nabbed some of the biggest, biggest technology that Voyager has transport. I'm sorry, the Federation has transport technology, right? This is stuff that is going to radically alter the the development of the Delta Quadrant. Now that it is an extremely you know warlike people's hands, my expectation moving forward in the episode, knowing that they just got stolen so hard, was that Janeway is going to start playing things conservative and basically say, "Oh well, that's that," and, and turn a blind eye. 
and that it's going to be only Chakotay who really realizes what's going on here. So I start, you know, I'm writing my notes like uh, this is a big fucking deal. And if they're going to ignore it, then I, I can't I can't wrap my head around a prime directive breach like this. But that's not the case at all. Like they in the very next scene clearly outline what is going to happen if they don't get this technology back. And uh, I want to take a moment to deeply appreciate the scenes that we get with the Kazon in this episode, because their negotiations are surprisingly interesting, genteel affairs with a sort of hidden menace. Uh, you know, you, it, you, we called them the Kmart Klingons as a derogatory term because they're kind of knockoffs of their, their warrior culture at first glance and knockoffs of their aesthetic. But this is a clear line of demarcation where Klingons are very uh, in your face when they're talking to you and negotiation is basically an escalation. They're all kind of smarmy assholes to each other. And it was fun to watch. Very Romulan. Very Romulan, yes. But not like... Cl- it's like Romulan-Frangi hybrid. And not not like as much like next-level deviousness as Romulans, but... Not nearly enough treachery, but it... it there's a civilized discourse. There's a yeah. There's a there's a smile with a hand on a dagger, or was we'll, we'll later come to see a smile with a hand on a fucking phaser rifle, which well everyone, doesn't go too well for them. No. So they they have some discussions with other uh, Kazan about you know what this technology means. They're interested, and we cut back to Voyager. They're trying to deal with this you know ship that got rammed into them, and then they want to chase the Kazon because they want to get their technology back because they know this is going to be fucked. And Chakotay is having a tough time dealing with this this issue. He's clearly taking it very personal that Seska is doing this and damn well probably was designed to because Seska made it personal. And it's Bolada who's trying to convince him, you need to back off. You need to take a step back. You need to not allow your personal feelings to be overcome by this. It's a real good scene, actually. It's a great scene for Bolana in particular. Chicote is, despite his Indian rubber people, alien astronaut traveler predilections, he is not actually a, a disciple of this school of thought. His true god is Janus from the Roman pantheon. And one of the faces is a crappy Chakotay you could give two shits about. And the other one is a pretty intense emotional dude who's been burned hard and carries a fucking grudge and does not know what to do with it. And it eats him alive. And I love it. I completely agree. The scene was fantastic because for the for the first time since early season one when they had well, we've since since uh, the Queen of Burns, since they did uh, State of State of Flux, I gave a shit about his character and the journey he's been on and what's happened to him. I also love that Bellana got this character growth of she's giving him advice about emotional stability. Did you pick up on something more than friendship? I I feel like there's threads in this episode that go back to the. Uh, Secret fuck fantasy. The secret fuck fantasy where maybe they're trying to maneuver these two characters where there might actually be something and and you're getting a little bit of Balan in this. You need to get over her and maybe check me out and him completely oblivious to it. 
it's not heavy, but I think if they wanted to have grown off of that, this would have played into that very well. I understand why you're saying that because, you know, we we saw that scene and we want to make connections. Um, I didn't get that vibe. I think it would have explained why she took a hard turn and somehow became the de-escalating voice of reason here. I think uh, you but, can explain that just to the fact that they've been clearly been portrayed as close friends from the beginning. Yes. I got a very bro vibe from it. Balana is Chakotay's Tuvok. You know, that's that's his Maki confidant. Janeway has Tuvok. Uh, and, and I think that's a neat resource for them to kind of continue to flesh out the, the Maquis Starfleet division that, yeah, they're one crew now, but they're still pre-existing alliances that are strong. And and I, again, like you, I really enjoyed it. And I think that this Beltrain brought a fucking A game into this entire episode starting right here. I want to jump back to your Kazon comments. My biggest regret in this entire episode is that they don't bring back around Knox. What was this Kazon's name? Naglon or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, Aaron Eisenberg's guest character, yeah. Him or side, not sideshow Bob, but Bob from, ba- again, 89 Batman. This is all about, we can we can title this episode 89 Batman. Um, you know, the, the guy who looked like Bob that he basically shot the old first Maj in the back and was like, look, dude, you're in charge now. I bow to you. You could kill me or you could know you got a fucking ride or die soldier. You know, and I don't know if it's a budget thing or scheduling or what, but it just sucks when they've got these characters and it's like, take these dudes out of the toy box, man. Bring them in. Let them let them play and bring some continuity, you know, throughout the show and and give us some strong callbacks. But even that's a a minor complaint on this one. I mean, look how many times we have uh, said in the past, go back through our episodes where I've mentioned they never use the potential that they have for recurring characters. They just botch it. Everything that they managed to capture for that in DS9 and elevate that show. And even later on in Enterprise, they managed to really leverage recurring characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shran and uh, the guest actor we had uh, uh, last uh, episode in Cold Fire plays Soval. Like Voyager had the same potential and just never used it. And you're right. It sucks because it would be likely to see him. Now, that said, this is an episode with two recurring characters, Kulla and and Seska, and they're awesome. Uh, but they could have done even more. They could have like made the universe even richer than that. Let me put this bug in your ear as we move forward. We looked at Non Sequitur, and then what was the follow-up episode? The Riker Space Muppet one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we said that, hey, look – Everything you set out to do in non sequitur, you essentially do a way better job of in a follow up episode. That's that's not even about that shit, right? You establish the um, the strong friendship between Paris and Kim, and you know flesh out a lot better character and and, and realize that in potential. one scene. In one scene, they do that. I'm gonna say that this is the spiritual successor to. Tattoo and whatever Tattoo was supposed to do to flesh out Chakotay and take stuff like, oh, hey, here's weird throwbacks from Earth and all that other stuff. Just like I said back on that one, like that should have been a Seska episode. This is that Seska episode and this develops Chakotay as a character way better than anything Tattoo was able to fucking bungle through. And I think elevated in the fact that 
what we learn about Chicote through this episode is not because he gives some dopey monologue into the fucking camera at some point. It's mm-hmm. everyone else talks about what is going on and it's him. nail on the head. Yeah, it's like in the way that he conveys information, sh- you know, uh, shows it rather than him having to tell it. It's the kind of effective storytelling in this medium that is always gripping. And I, I also judge how good an episode is by the amount of notes I took. And I took far fewer in this for a reason because I was too busy enjoying it. And uh, one of the things I enjoyed was the next scene, Peter. It was when the Kazon negotiation that was surprisingly genteel, uh, genteel with a where where the Nistrum and Kulla are negotiating with a stronger Kazon sect. They're suggesting that, of course, they just hand over the transporter technology. Everyone eventually goes for their gats. So, so they're at opposite sides of the table, right? And the Kazon Nistrum's like, "Yeah, we got the sweet tech." We want your help. And they, they lay all the cards on the table at this point. Voyager is a pinata of juicy, crazy technology. And you help us swing the bat and take this fucking thing down without blowing the ship up. And we all get to have, you know, fucking Bazooka Joe and Tootsie Rolls. And the other side, I forget what sect they are, but like there's like talking dude. And then there his there's like his goon to the left of him. And this guy's like got a fucking like hobo phaser rifle it looks like some pipe gun off a of fallout 4 and he's like got his hand on the trigger i saw this thing and i shit myself because you remember it wasn't you know what was it the uh the shithead episode or the tom paris oops i killed your fucking husband now i've got mine jail yes they go to meet with the president of the world and tuvok and janeway are packing phasers right we made a big deal out of this this is the only way you could escalate. This is the only way you could one up Tuvok and Janeway on this is when you show up with a rifle and your hand on it and the thing like half point. I'm like, you know, there's going to be a Mexican standoff. I can't wait to see what shit goes on, especially when you got treacherous ass Sesco over there. You know, yeah, the, I understand why this Kazon guy might have had his hand on his gat. The Kazon definitely seemed to have very forceful negotiations. But what was really fucking surprising is that it ends with Sesco going, you know what? Why don't we let him go and we'll just say we'll we'll talk about your offer and we'll talk again later. And the scene cuts away. Right. And that's where they leave it. And the next scene is Voyager coming up on where there's a break in the trail that they're following, trying to find the the stolen goods. I have a mesmerism. Anytime in my mind now when Voyager stops and says we pick something up and you can see something on the view screen that's small. My first reaction is like, please be an old Ford truck. (laughs) Well, it's not a Ford truck because they magnify. And in the show's most metal moment to date, uh, Seska clearly beamed the two other Kazon into fucking space. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, boy. That. Oh, oh. How many instances of this can you give me in Star Trek? None. Because it's like the None. most. We, we talked about like, you know, if you've got holodeck technology, you could put holodeck in the entire ship. And if if you can holodeck lungs into people's chests, you could like holodeck cancer into people's brains or holodeck bullets into their head instantly, like pretty vicious technology. If you've got transporters, the second someone's shields go down, like if I was a cat, if I was a shitty cat, I'm not shit, if I was a if I was a mean captain, I'd start just beaming their fucking crew right into space. No fucks to give, right? 
You never really see that. This, there's two times I can tell you I've seen dudes beamed into space. This and I don't want to, you know, spoilers in Star Trek Discovery, but Discovery's pretty gruesome and dudes get beamed into space here. So this card getting played on Voyager, big deal. Well, Discovery's not Star Trek, so it only happens this one time. <sighs> You're a hater. I'm right. Uh, now, anyway, no. so Snarf Snarf IDs the body and is actually useful uh, by telling uh, the captain, like, actually, I'm pretty sure this was no accident. Um, these guys have markings on them that suggest they're from a different sect. This seems like this was an execution. Because you got a couple different Nistrums or Kazon groups that we're dealing with. Were any of these guys like the uh, white trash drug dealer dreadlock pothead tie-dye guys from um, the Chakotay Knox episode? I don't think so. Uh, this was like, like from like the biggest sect. Like they're already super strong. Um, then Bob wasn't their, their leader. So we know that Bob's in charge of that one. So... This was just an entirely different sect, but there's so many that I, I can't imagine they'll ever name check them again. But let me throw another bone out, another congratulations, gold start. Neelix is on point this whole episode, too. He is not annoying at all. And this dude's earned between this and uh, the last one. I mean, he's doing exactly what he should be. He's, he's the guide to the Delta Quadrant. He's not 100% right all the time. But I mean, this guy is a solid resource and, and he is earning his keep. Yeah, he definitely uh, manages to pay the rent on this one. And uh, the whole scene is structured nicely because the doctor reveals the grim reality. They were beamed into space. And then Neelix comes in with the info is like, and it was probably on purpose. And meanwhile, Chakotay is just grim looking at this going, this is what I've done. I have made it so that this fucking psycho woman is out there able to beam people into fucking space like like a like a fucking monster there's no dialogue in that it's just his non-verbals which is impressive think about what a transporter is to the average citizen in the 24th century you know it's established tech it has terrible things you could do it it is for all intents and purposes to you and me a microwave you know maybe it's that have you ever thought about taking a cat or or a small animal or a baby and putting them in the microwave it's it's unthinkable it's such a fucking vicious evil thing to do it doesn't even cross your mind and i would have to think or i, I will think in my head canon that that's what they have to liken this to seeing someone take technology that you know it could do that and you always would hope oh god i hope nothing living would ever end up in a microwave and seeing someone intentionally abusing the technology and doing it like Seska has to seem like a real monster to these people. And exactly what you said, Chakotay rightfully is hanging this all on his head and being like, this is my fault. That The worst thing that we could think about having a transporter accident, not being an accident, a use as a weapon. Uh, this, is, this is some below the belt punching for sure. To add to this episode's list of firsts, Chakotay finally does a terrorism thing and breaks into the security codes to mask his jacking of a shuttle and bounces on his own. They don't catch him for hours after. Three hours. It's not until there's a staff meeting, which I also want to say, how long has it been since you've seen Jan Jamie hold a staff meeting? It's been a while since they've had a, like a full 
you know, Scooby bridge uh, crew. Yeah. yeah. Group move, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, they're like, where the fuck's Chakotay? And uh, you know, uh, <laughs> this is where I want to go with, uh, <laughs> with one of the questions, like, why is it so easy to continually pull the Voyager shirt over its head and punch it in the face while it's blind? They get stolen over and over and over again, especially after Seska, uh, you know, made her escape off the ship. These codes, these access things like Tuvok is a shitty sign or I'm sorry, Tuvok is a shitty security guy. Point blank. He just dropped the ball on security so many times on every episode leading up to this and this one. You know, we'll later find out that Chakotay's got command codes that could really fuck the ship over. I'm surprised that, you know, that's even a, a, a thing. Like, once he goes rogue and goes off and he's going to end up in enemy hands, change these fucking codes, man. Jesus. I mean, how do you not, as the security chief of Voyager, when you've had a defection of someone you know as an Obsidian Order spy, not go... I think I should change the fucking command codes. I think I should change the security codes. We should probably do things differently, especially when you're a Vulcan, which basically makes you OCD for your job. I don't get it. I would think of that. How the fuck is he not thinking of that? Now, Chakotay breaking in and doing shit with the current information, whatever. Sure. sure. I'm okay with that. Like, that makes perfect sense. But Seska still having information that would be effective, that nobody thought to themselves, yeah, she's probably going to come back and fuck with us later. No, that's that's one of the few knocks I put on this episode. I am all about Seska being the uh, the, the fucking supervillain that she is because she's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. it seems like it wasn't so much she was a supervillain so much as that it was that she took advantage Tuvok's of Tuvok, fool. Tuvok being a fucking idiot, which is like, come on. Be have, have it be that Sessa came up with some wild ass shit that outsmarted Tuvok. That'd be so much better and so much more of a threat than you're just a doofus who forgot to change the fucking locks after you kicked your ex out. And also, since we're tracking it, I want to go ahead and throw out that, uh, again, you've got someone disappearing off the ship and the ship not alerting Janeway. And, you know, it's area. Well, Tuvok, or, uh, maybe they, Chakotay intentionally disabled that, but people mysteriously disappearing off of the ship has been a ongoing concern. And again, we're what, 10, 11 months into the the voyage at this point, like get some systems in place to watch these people, but yet another shuttlecraft episode. And guess what we're going to have? Well, yeah, some shuttlecraft shenanigans. We sure are. So we get a walk and talk tracking shot. Like this director, David Livingston suddenly thinks he's Aaron Sorkin as as Janeway and Tuvok trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Uh, and we cut back to the most scenery chewing, sensual dialogue, you know, seeing uh, I've seen in a long time in a television show. It is so cheesy, but like in a perfect way for Star Trek, because it's Kulla and Seska while uh, Kulla is is talking about his aspirations to be, you know, the, the head honcho of all of the Kazon and unite them against the Voyager. They always refer to Voyager as the Voyager, if you've noticed, among the Kazon. And Seska's obviously trying to put herself in position as the power behind the throne, but is also trying to be careful and, and not tipping her hand too much. And 
you know, Kulla is portrayed by the actor playing him as somebody who has talent, but not that next level of thinking like Seska does. So he's very easily duped. Manipulated. Do you, I got this vibe off. <laughs> I think Kulla is like a dead ringer for Adam West. He's, His play, speaking he's, patterns. he's playing it with that sort of, uh, I don't want to like B movie charm, like that B movie verve. Which is perfect because he's he's this mustache twirling villain. He's the bad guy. And Seska, Martha Hackett, like just this whole. Yes, Maj. Yes, Maj. This this very obviously sex appeal type of approach. And you watch it. and You're like, this is hilarious. But it's perfect for the scene. It's perfect for Star Trek. Like it can be cheesy like that. And it still works. Yeah, so she's puppeting him hard, and you know he's got some pushback. Like you did what? That wasn't with my authority, and it, it's it's a good scene, and it just further cements Seska as a uh, super awesome. Uh, it's during this scene that you get a really good close up, an extended shot of Kula. Kazon crust is fucking gross. Oh yes, ugh. I would say it's worse than the shitheads from the Tom Paris dead husband adventures. I, I don't. How do these guys get their shirts on? That stuff looks like it's got to get stuck to everything. You got to be picking lint off there. I'm sure there's insects burrowing in. Like a lot of button downs in uh, Kmart Klingon world. A lot of button downs. <laughs> a lot of kimonos. We get a, a scene between Janeway and Balana, which I think is pretty critical to what we've talked about before about how this the feminine this, voice. What what was your take on this? Did you like it? This was an effective use of the feminine voice. Like the, the ineffective use of the feminine voice was in stuff like the holodeck apparitions, Janeway going crazy episode, that sort of thing. This is an effective use of the feminine voice by by having Balana come in. Janeway is like no nonsense, like I'm pretty fucking pissed at my first officer for fucking off with a, a shuttle to go commando on this. Uh, not really in the mood to talk about it. Yeah, like it's some bullshit. And Balana tries to lay out like, listen, I know this sounds like such bullshit and it probably is bullshit, but he is such a private man that being betrayed by someone that he loved and then having that just sh- just flaunted in front of everybody and then made to be used as a weapon against everybody else on the like ship. The waving kittens. Right, like has driven him over the edge. He's not being rational and he's he feels responsible and because he feels responsible, he means because, you know, he's Chakotay and when he feels responsibility, he'll do dumb shit like be a terrorist. He's going to go do terrorist shit now. And I just want you to keep that in mind. Like when we catch up to him, don't don't go too hard on him because he's doing this for all the right reasons, even though it doesn't it's feel wrong. that way. Right. And Unlike other kind of circumstances where we've seen the feels get interjected in ways that are awkward, it works to be here because of Bolana's impassioned defense, how she phrases it. And Janeway's reaction being at first like, don't give a shit. And then as it goes on going, "Okay, listen, I get where you're coming from. He's lucky to have you as a friend. We'll fucking deal with that when we got to deal with it. Let's find him first. How about that? So you got two things going on here. You've got. Balana and and Janeway acting as feminine authority and dissecting 
Chakotay up on the table. Then you got Chakotay, who at first I want to say, all right, well, they're just kind of turning him into this like big dumb oaf who's charging off and, you know, trying to to just be the chest thumping alpha male that he's going to go take care of things. But it doesn't really come off like that at the end. I, I think they do a good job as presenting him as a thinking person who is a flawed character. They don't just chalk it up to like, well, he's just a dumb man and, you know, we're two smart women. Hey, they, they handled let, let, me, let me point something out to you right now because it's relevant to my hating of of not Star Trek Discovery. OK, compare this scene and the effective use of the feminine cho- uh, voice to anything Michael Burnham does in that entire season. How so? There is no effective use of the feminine voice in Discovery. Yeah. And that's why I like it is because instead of just chalking her up as, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl and I'm going to talk as a girl. She identifies first and foremost as a Vulcan, and I think that's my favorite thing about the Burnham character is that it's a it's a black woman, but it's it's a Vulcan through and through. But yet, here's here's what I'm saying: that's not in any way, shape, or form interesting. Michael Burnham is the most boring character I have seen mm. in a television show in my fucking life. She Disagree. is played like a wooden board. She is a constant fuck up. She's completely unlikable. Disagree. And it feels like the show tried to go out of its way to promote the sort of uh, look at all these ladies in charge. Aren't they great kind of performative feminism without actually effectively using the feminine voice in any way, shape or form. This scene that we watched from this 23 year old television show was so much better at that. I came away from that scene thinking to myself, yeah. I totally get why everyone's doing what they're doing here. That was super effective. It really explained, you know, where these characters are at and their relationships and why they're going to make the decisions they make and and, and how that's the right decision in this moment. Uh, you've got some some strong points to a couple of the uh, Discovery female characters, the Captain Shen or whatever her name is specifically. Uh, Burnham, uh, Admiral, I, I could go. Admiral, Corn, Admiral Cornwall is the fucking worst. Out of the whole lot of them. I'm sorry. Now I'm all fucking wound up because I, I fucking hate that show. I hate that show so fucking much. Admiral, I mean, as much as bad as Burnham is, Cornwall's even worse example. God, fuck. Well, again, I, these are deeper conversations. and I, I, We've got a real good episode on our hand I want to focus on. We, we can talk all about right, this stuff right, later, maybe on a, one of the live casts that we, we want to start doing. Throwing back to why this is a better episode than Tattoo is you're fleshing out Chicote, you're not hanging his hat completely on this stupid, you know, space traveler religion hook, and you're fleshing him out by looking at other people reacting to his actions instead of his actions specifically. So, meanwhile, Chicote's floated off on a shuttle. Uh, he's doing his own maquis tricks at this point, and he's ghosting this thing right up alongside uh, the the Kazon capital ship for all intents and purposes. So what's happened here? We didn't really flesh this out. They stole the transporter technology. They pieced out. Seska fucking shot them both middle fingers and all but said, fuck you now, come find me. She intentionally riled them up. And they also left a nice warp core breadcrumb trail, well, warp signature for Voyager to follow once it repaired itself as Janeway and Chakotay, or actually it's really Chakotay that says, no, this is another trap. This is too obvious. She's too smart to do this stuff. They're luring us in. There's a reason why they didn't just drop bombs all over the place uh, while they were here and blow us up. They want the whole ship. We got to be real careful. 
And that's exactly what's going on. And that's why Chicote has, you know, even though everybody is openly acknowledging, look, we need to get this transporter technology back at all costs. And I think this is a pretty cool concept is Voyager is a ship that wants to get home above all else. And there is this unified acknowledgement among the entire crew. Like I think, and they don't really come out and say it, but I think that Janeway and pretty much everybody else is like, even if we die going after this thing, we need to get this transporter technology back at all costs because we are going to do so much incredible harm to this quadrant uh, that this is the most important thing to us right now. No, all true. Everything you said is absolutely accurate. And I do like that Chicote really fulfills the idea that he was a fucking terrorist leader for a change by coming up with some clever tricks to accomplish that goal. And this whole sequence with the trickery with the shuttle was very illustrative of that because they make it clear he's pulling kind of a double double move here. He's trying to bait Seska into thinking he's pulling one move while he's pulling a different one. But the audience doesn't know that until uh, Chakotay has completed his task. So he's he's doing stuff in the shuttle, trying to scan for where the transporter is. Seska seems to be onto his game. They find him. It looks like he's uh, he's he's fucked like he's been caught and he drops a communication buoy and then it cuts away. And you think, okay, he's getting dragged in now, you know, standard Chicote going off half cocked, you know, fucking it up, didn't didn't work. And now everyone's screwed type of situation. But actually, when they get this, the uh, shuttle into the cargo bay, it's empty. And what should have happened? What, what Chicote was actually up to was beaming himself off so that he could personally go just blow it up with a hand phaser instead of trying to transport it off the ship. He's just going to go ahead and just blow this thing up. So that way it can't be used rather than try and take it back. And he does so. Walks right into where the room is, blows it up, and then just gives the phaser to Seska to be like, well, I'm fucked now because I'm stuck here. So here you go. It was essentially a suicide run. And and jumping back to the big picture, Voyager is in the suicide mode as well. I think everybody is that. Like I said, we need to get the transporter technology back at all costs. We are going to willfully walk into a trap and try and figure out some cockamamie scheme to to save the day on this. And if we all blow up in the process, whatever, as long as we take them down with us. And yeah, Chakotay going off in just a shuttle and being like, I know I can do this. At the worst, I'll die, and the rest of the ship will be fine. And that's cool. It, it's a solid plan. Do you think that there would have been any chance in hell that Janeway would have signed off on this? No. She wouldn't have signed off in the suicide really? mission part of it. This is a no win for us. And if we lose, if we fuck this up and they take the the not only is the entire crew going to be turned into slaves and, and tortured and whatever. You're going to radically alter, again, the landscape of the Delta Quadrant for the worst significantly when they start producing our technology and getting crazy with it. I think she would have she would have not have approved it because of the suicide run element that, hey, we're in this together, we're doing this together, would have been her per point. And that they would have taken the whole ship in to get the job done and not let Chakotay go out there and, and make, a, make a go at it by himself. I think the fact that she's willing to eventually take the entire ship in to rescue him, not even knowing if he's still alive, I, I think that probably proves your point. I think it does. And the next scene is Seska and Chakotay having to talk. And we find out that 
This is it's, this was a very clever continuity as well, and addresses one of our earlier concerns. Seska says, "You're a dumb fuck. Yeah, you blew up the thing that you that I brought in, but you gave me a shuttle. That's all I need. I'm good now." And then Chicote says, "Yeah, I wiped the computer core before I beamed beamed out, so it's worthless now. There's nothing in there that you can use. I basically just burnt the whole system out, and you got nothing that you can recover in there." Yeah. So they're the shuttle's fucked. They're out the technology. And now Seska is trying to convince Chakotay to give up the command codes to Voyager so that he, she can complete her plan and is basically throwing every trick of the book at him to do it. Intimidation, sensual uh, concern, fake concern for the people that are there. Everything that she can think of, she rifles through trying to see what gets a reaction out of Chakotay for what tactic to take. You can kind of see it's a sort of interrogation technique of like, all right, let me try this. Does that push a button? Let me try this. Does that push a button? Does that, you know, like she's that's what she's trying to do. So good to the point that I can't even as a viewer determine what's a lie and what's real because she hits all the right buttons. You know, you had... Uh, Taurus talking about how, look, you know, Chakotay, you're not that stupid. Yeah, you had a relationship with her. She was my best friend and I didn't see any of this stuff coming. So when you got her talking about like, look, you know, I don't want people to to be hurt or things to be any worse and they're going to have to be baseline. I don't want Taurus to suffer. I don't, you know, if you just play ball with me on this thing, you know, they're going to come, you know, we're going to get them, you know, let's dodge this inevitability. I don't want you to be tortured. And, you know, the note that she left on when she pieced out in the first place, like, is there real emotion? She even threw in his face like, yeah, you had my key info and I could have, you know, we could have busted your cell and dragged you in and got you. But, you know, we, you know, you guys weren't really that important. And it certainly wasn't a better opportunity to bust you than to indulge my feelings for you and protect you. So... I think there's some truth to the thing she's saying, or maybe she's just that good of an obsidian order agent that, you know, she really is just a cold, nasty bitch and, and can sell a lie. And the fact that you don't know and that the performance she gives makes both credible is why it's awesome. Is she, she is either a fantastic interrogator who knows exactly how to rifle through the potential ways of manipulating a prisoner, or she is genuinely conflicted. She's broken. Either way, it works. Yeah, either way it works. This scene specifically, I jump back to Seska Queen of Burns where we lost her. And you laid out on the table, what if what if she hadn't actually been the one who betrayed the crew? Yeah, she's an obsidian order. Yeah, you caught her ruse, but she's not the real bad guy here. You don't have a reason to run her off. You don't have a reason to throw her in the brick. And now you got this Garrick shady operator who could be a resource and is this constant moral dilemma of do we indulge him or do we you know stick to our own morals it was such a value add could have been brought onto the ship by keeping onto the show by keeping her around she makes a great arch villain you know don't don't get me wrong but if this could have just been episode in and episode out so good such such squandered opportunity such a strong female character again for a, a show about you know really bringing women into the forefront of star trek and she could have been the show's garrick and maybe that's why they didn't because they were literally running this playbook in another show at the same time 
of having the shady Cardassian spy who's kind of on your side. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. And they decided they need to flip the script and make her a villain to keep it fresh. That could be, I think, a rational explanation. And given how good Garrick is, I don't know uh, if I'd have minded them doing it twice. Uh, but they didn't. And it's said we get a good villain, though. And we get her for a while. Let me which go is back nice. to the, the threat that Chakotay poses to the ship are these fucking command codes. Why is it? The second he goes off fucking commando on his own, you know, off the books, black ops, like, why are these not being changed? Why do the command codes even exist on Voyager at this point? They are nothing but a liability. Delete them. Voyagers, now you don't have other Starfleet vessels that might need to come along and remote control the ship. It's not going to happen. Disable this fucking remote desktop connection thing you got going on because it is only a liability. I, I completely agree. Uh, it seems I have written in very bold on one of my notes, change the fucking command codes. Um, it's pretty crazy. I was about to say, it allows us to have a scene that's even better than the Seska Chicote talk. It's the scene where where Chicote's actually finally being interrogated by Kulla. This is the one that made me just like hands down have to appreciate Chicote. Did you catch LA Confidential? The movie LA Confidential? Yeah, of course. I've watched so it. So that, that motel that they got off, the Starliner Motel, I think it is. And they just got dudes like mm-hmm. belted down to a chair and just blasting them in the ribs and faces. Like that is Kazon torture techniques. They're just beating him in the face while he is tied to a chair. And Chakotay is just the fucking man in this one because he is dropping bomb after bomb right in Kella's face about who he is literally in bed with. It's it gets saucy talking about like, yeah, she probably tells you your stomach. Yeah, tells you how powerful you are. All this, you know, like I, I thought she had a lot to offer too. she's smart. Sex is good, you know. Oh, she'd never fucking tell you about us. He starts reading from her standard operating procedure. You know, he lays out implicitly what she's been doing him and calls his attention like, man, I'm getting my my puppet strings pulled here, which only makes him matter. And I thought it was a real smart, like you're saying, a real smart way of presenting Chakotay. Like, he's not just like, fuck you, I'll never talk. He's like, I'll talk and I'm going to talk about stuff you don't want to hear about. And I'm going to be the one who's now dividing your lines and, and putting doubt where there didn't need to be any. The, the piece de resistance is after they drug him. And he's like, oh, he's like, and they ask for the command codes again. He says, I'll do you better. I'll give you inside information. And he leans in to hear it. Like, what is it? And he says, when she's done with you, she's going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. Someone just learned at the feet of the Queen of Burns with that. That is that is sick. That is sick. And they're showing it, too, from his point of view. Like, he's drugged and, like, woozy. So you're like, man, this dude's talking from the heart right now. Is this where uh, they leave the room and then Cessia comes over with that long-ass needle and puts it in his neck next? Yeah, yeah, and takes something from him. Yeah, you can't really... This this needle... It's deep. By needle, it's I mean this bayonet. Tap. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Spinal tap. It's like she gives him a tracheotomy from the back of his neck in through the front. Everything Seska delivers, she, <laughs> she's she got to come back for everything, man. I love her. And what, what, what was her, her parting word to him on that one? Like, uh, 
I wouldn't have killed. I, I don't remember. What oh, was, I'm not. A, I'm not a killer. If I were, you'd have been dead a long time ago. Yeah, basically, and I could have played you at any point. So Chicote's in a bad place. Back on Voyager, they're trying to come up with uh, some some outside the box thinking. <laughs> I was really hoping that Torres was going to come up with some sort of situation <laughs> where they <laughs> fuck up the warp core and save the day, but uh, they're. They they have this whole dialogue about this and they just don't do it. Yeah, I thought that was weird, and I like Kim being the doubting Thomas because so their their working theory is hey we're going to fly through this target area at warp speed and I'm going to time the transporter beam to the engine frequency and we're going to basically do a drive by beaming and, and zip Chakotay out of there and everybody's like whoa. Ho, ho, ho super super no starfleet illegal like that is going to result in more people in outer space or in the bulkhead or you know that's that's a big no-no and you know she comes back with the standard you know i've done it before and we ride dirty all the time in the maquis trust me i got this i did like that i mean it goes to some of our canon about why she's fucking with the warp core because of the jury rigging stuff that we were talking about that a, a few weeks ago so that was good. It's just a shame they didn't fucking do any of it when it came time for, for go time. They just dropped out of warp and got into a phaser fight. So well, real quick on the Kazon, you know, he's got this powwow. All of his buddies have shown up and now he's not dealing with the big dog. The, the people he beamed out into space, that was like the second most powerful Kazon group. Now he's got all the scrubs. They decided, hey, look, the big dogs aren't going to run with us because they don't need to. They're sitting pretty already. Let's go after all the little scrubby assholes that are desperate for a leg up and they'll be willing to play ball with us and, and march by, you know, our, the beat of our drum. And he starts selling mana pretty good. Hey, why should we trust you? And, you know, he hits the button and his dudes drag uh, Chakotay and Chakotay had some pretty good uh, prosthetics on his face. Like it almost looked like his uh, his eyebrow was like the occipital lobe was busted. Like he's fucked. They they were hitting this dude. As hard as he hit Dolby, if not harder. Yeah, well, the Dolby punch will forever be immortalized as the best stage punch that Voyager could possibly ever do. But mm-hmm. uh, the problem solving they come up with when they finally get into this fight is that they they snatch everybody up in the room where. All right. So everybody's in a, a room and they're in the middle of talking about how they're going to get the leg up on Voyager. Voyager shows up. They engage. And as you pointed out earlier, they put in all this effort to have a drive-by transporter beaming, and that all gets thrown off the table. So they start trying to beam Chakotay off in the moment of surprise. His pattern's shifting over. They got him like, what, 80%? And all of a sudden, Torres loses it because she's got Seska on the other end working against her. I thought this would have been the perfect time to throw Thomas Riker in there, split and give us two Chakotays. Well, they don't get two Chicotes. Uh, instead, they go ahead and come up with plan B. Uh, they need to find a way to end this fight and still get Chicote back. And Janeway has the idea, well, if we can't just get Chicote picked out because of this dampening field, why don't we just go ahead and grab everybody in the room and have a little forceful talk? And sure enough, that's what happens. They beam all of the the Kmart Klingons that were in the powwow out, and they are greeted by Tuvok and the security team in the transporter room, pointing phasers at them. 
with Tuvok informing them politely that all of their weapons have been deactivated through the transporting process and that they can, as a result, return the first officer, return the shuttlecraft, and be on their way in return for not dying, which they accept. You've seen all of Voyager. Is there a more boss moment out of Janeway's entire solution catalog than this moment right here? Yes, there is. The The whole the whole situation with the finale definitely is Janeway's. Janeway's best moment comes in the last episode. So when we get there, you'll see what I mean. I was not expecting her to play a hand like this. And this is such after after Voyager getting bamboozled over and over and just being two steps behind everybody else the entire episode. The fake out of just grabbing their entire command structure and bringing them on the ship and basically holding them hostage until they get what they want. Like the only criticism at all here, because they even grabbed the shuttle. Like I'd forgotten about the shuttle at that point, especially since uh, Chakotay wiped it out and then, you know, basically removed it from the table completely. Like, why not just ask for Seska at that point? Be like, and by the way, give us this fucking war criminal who is going to obviously continue to be a huge hassle for us. I'm kind of glad they didn't. That way we get more of her. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if she, if she could have just been in the brig being saucy and, and mean. I mean, that would you got the awesome doctor trapped in the uh, med bay and you got, you know, Seska, Queen of Burns trapped in the brig for for complimentary scenes. But th- this episode delivered over and over again. And I would say this point here really just came out of left field and surprising me at, again. Hey, Janeway and, and Bolana and all these other, you know, people who we drag on all the time for stupid ideas. They can hit hard when the time comes. The weakest scene in the episode comes next because it's the scene where Janeway punishes Chakotay for what he did. It's not a punishment. I I mean, they get better with this the next time they decide to go down a road in this way. It isn't for several years, but, you know, it just felt so flat and that, they, you know, they, they built this episode up in such a perfect way for Janeway to assert her command authority. And she just doesn't she just puts them on report, like barely a stern talking to like no brig time, no demotion, no like 30 days of, you know, uh, home confinement. You go to duty and then you go back to your quarters and that's it. You take bread and water and whatever, like just nothing whatsoever to really demonstrate that he broke seriously with the rules to do what he did at the very least make him go in and play out the remainder of her hollow novel <laughs> yeah like you gotta have to be the gothic you know governess now like nothing you're gonna get nothing. kissed on by the duke this is a big scene because this is the second time a member of senior leadership has gone way off reservation this is yeah, Tuvok did too, yeah. And I would say that what Tuvok pulled is a drop in the bucket compared to uh, what he just did because their motivation here is we need to retrieve the technology. If he had fucked up and not wiped that shuttle, and they would have dipped off with him and again all Federation's technology wrapped up in a little fucking box with a bow tie, big impacts. And I, I would say that at least when she you know gave Tuvok his stern talking to. It had some oomph to this. Like, this was just totally limp Absolutely was. I don't know who made the decision to write it that way, but real missed opportunity. 
uh, real unfortunate. But we had a nice little uh, little tag at the end of the episode afterwards. Seska calls up on the, the Google Hangouts uh, to talk to Chakotay again. And uh, she decides to inform him, hey, just wanted you to know that uh, while you were knocked out, I took some of your DNA and decided to get Prego with your baby. I'm your baby mama now. Crazy ass Suskin. I got that in there and circled. Uh, she always has to have that last word. She is the queen of Burns, and that is a a vicious ending on that episode. No Kess, no doctor, huh? Yeah, we got a little bit of doctor. He did the autopsy, but no Kess. Kess mm. was absent entirely. Uh, but we had an all Kess episode basically last week, so that made sense. A hell of one, too. Uh, yeah, so this was good. It uh, it checked all the boxes in my book. A couple weak scenes, but that's not really too much to complain about when the rest of it was so good. And it made me it made me wish we had Seska for longer than we do, but I'm at least glad that she plays a huge part in the rest of the second season. Does she? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to that then. And again, I'm always impressed when we can take Chakotay, who has been consistently the poopy character, and it's like you plug in Seska to Chakotay, and it just now you've formed Voltron, and now you're dealing with great stuff. It really is. I mean, it when they decide to go down these roads and give Chakotay some personality and some vulnerability, it works. Even though Rob Beltran is not the best actor, he's he's got his time. He can shine with the right material. And this is the material he's been best with. And, uh, you know, they give him an episode to focus on his backstory and it's fucking hot, terrible ass garbage on fire on top of other garbage they give him some shit about a bad girlfriend that that's fucking with him in his life and suddenly you're all about what he's got to offer so it's a lesson there i think uh one that unfortunately no one can learn because the show has been long out of production mm. i got a whole tangent i want to go to about seska and uh evil women but i think i'm going to save that for one of our live casts because it's going to be speaking speaking of that Nice segue. So if you liked me getting really fucking turnt talking about how much I hate Discovery, or you'd like to hear Peter talk about how much he uh, thinks women are evil, uh, you would be glad to know that Peter and I have decided to embark on a monthly regular live stream. Um, we, we have all the stuff that we want to talk about, and we never get an opportunity to do so because we're trying to keep these episodes at an hour as I look at the clock. And this is an hour and fucking 20 minutes. Right. And so and we really like the one live stream we did at the end of season one. But, you know, that means we'd only do it basically twice a year. That's not enough. So instead, we're going to do one one a month. We're going to do it uh, on a different day than the normal podcast episode. It won't replace the episode. It'll be just something that we exclusively do on YouTube and Twitch. And we'll get back to you guys real soon about when the first one will be. Uh, Peter and I just got to hash that out yet. So stay tuned to the uh, the groups for uh, information on that. Are you still running the Twitter stream or sorry, Twitch? Yeah, uh, I am. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. We still got a few people who uh, check in with us there. And, uh, you know, by the time this episode's heard, actually, we'll probably have put out there to everybody uh, information on the first live stream. So this might be old news, but. We, uh, we're excited about it, nevertheless. Very excited. 
Joe, I want to talk to you about season two, episode 12, Resistance. Disguised while on an away mission, Captain Janeway is rescued by a man who thinks that she is his daughter. Are we about to step into the dog shit that only two excellent back-to-back episodes can really produce? Absolutely not. This is this is a good one, actually. I have a strong memory of it because the promo they used on UPN was very impressionable on my young preteen. Well, was I a teenager? I was like 12, 13 uh, brain and I wanted to watch it. It was uh, very salacious about what was going to happen in the episode. It was not nearly as so much that, but it was still very compelling. And so I'm looking forward to watching it again. If we get three good episodes in a row, we're going to have to sit down and have a talk about if we have ourselves shifted into an alternate reality. If we're going to have to call the helps, I, I've I've slid into a different place. I need I need to go home. My life is too good. Clearly, this is a parallel universe. My Voyager has gotten magically excellent. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I don't even want to really cover the ground on who we thought was going to be bad in this episode because it was just so good. It, it, it shattered any sort of ill will I could have brought into it. Um, you got anything to say? In we both said, well, I think we both said Janeway and honestly, that's God, that's wrong. That's super wrong. Yeah. I don't think any, no one was bad unless you want to count Harry Kim because he didn't do anything. He was a doubting Thomas. And I, I thought he was a good voice because I mean, this was a very mocky episode of, Hey, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. And you know, it's him and Tuvok like, Let's fucking chill out and look what's really going on here. Let's. <laughs> I don't think Kim really cares for Chakotay in the first place. Maybe he's kind of like, yeah, good. Fuck this guy. <laughs> All right, then you got a, a rule of acquisition for yeah, us. Yeah, man, Seska, you got a. She's a shifty operator. Uh, Frankie, rule of acquisition number seven: keep your eyes, your keep your ears open, and your eyes on the mark. Yeah, we know who the mark was in this one, and it was very effectively done. All right, folks, it's been an excellent two episodes in the row. Make sure to tune in next week to see if we can make it three. Until then, my name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And this has been Vija Please, a hateful voyage of the Delta Quadrant. We will see you next time.